Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Like I say, every week on my episodes of Money Making Conversations, whether it's audio or video, I always tell people to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People are always talking about gifts and passions. If you have a gift, leave with your gift. And don't let your age, friends, family, or friends, especially your coworkers, stop you from planning or living your dreams. On this show, I interview celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guests are industry decision makers. They are power couple, Jeff and Nicole Friday, both are HBCU graduates of Howard University. Jeff is the founder and CEO of the American Black Film Festival, and Nicole is the president and general manager. The American Black Film Festival, the ABFF, is an annual event dedicated to recognizing black talent and showcasing quality film and television content by and about people of African-American descent, and the festival is returning to Miami Beach. Yeah! Come on, I'm sorry, I got it. too excited there. I'm sorry about that. The festival is now celebrating its 25th year. We'll be discussing the festival objectives, their partnership deals with Sony Pictures Entertainment and Endeavor content, and most importantly, how the two successfully work together in business as partners as a married couple. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Jeff and Nicole Friday. How my team doing? Come on, y'all. How y'all doing? What's up, brother? Hey, Rashawn. <laughs> What's well, up, brother? Well, well I'm going to tell you something, Nicole. Rashawn. I got to go to my man, Jeff, because I've been knowing him the longest. I've been following him since 97. You know, when I when I, when he was down in Acapulco, the very first one, you know, when I just wrapped up the writing on the uh, sitcom with um, Robert Townsend, Parenthood. And that was the very first. That was the very first one officially, wasn't it? In '97, correct? That's right. And, and thank you for all your support. Yeah, '97 was the first year, and, and Robert was right there with us. He's one of the first people uh, that we called when we decided to do this festival for Black and Brown folks. So I got to shout out my brother Robert. Well, you know, I was telling him, you know, he's important in my life. I, I was at the time I got into sitcom. Steve Harvey gave me my first writing job on ABC, Me and the Boys, and uh, it was uh, unceremoniously canceled, and I had no nowhere to go. And Robert Council called me, and he hired me. And uh, I always tell him every time I see him, without him, I, I wouldn't have a career in Hollywood because he trusted wow. my voice. He trusted my writing skills. And and when I talk about things like that, that's why it's important to have people empower, people <laughs> who are trying to deliver the message or the creative support or the platform for black and people of color. So that's why this film festival is so important. That's why I have to say it's not something that just came around last week. It's something that's been around, but it had to start somewhere and it started with you. Why did it start with you? Jeff. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny because people always, I answer that question a lot. I, th- I think the most um, accurate response I could give is because I was I was working in advertising in 1997. Right. And when I would go to major film festivals, I never saw black and brown people. I primarily saw white men. And I, and I, and I was, you know, I was impressed with what I would see. It was creative and there was deals getting made. And, you know, there's a whole industry around film that people that we don't really think about, right? And festivals are a market for buying and selling movies. And I just didn't see brothers and sisters there, you know, and I and I thought that that needed to be a change. And, and my nature, when I don't 
when I see something that brings me discomfort, I don't complain about it. I just, I just do something about it. So, you know, we've always been very action oriented and we decided I partnered with Byron Lewis and Warrington. Absolutely. Back in the you day, know, my, mm-hmm. my, two of my mentors and friends. Mm-hmm. And we created the festival. We did the first one, as you know, in Acapulco, Mexico, mm-hmm. um, 90 people showed up the first time and for all the millennials out there, there were no cell phones. There was no Instagram. We had no convenient ways of even promoting it. You know, we just kind of went around to different cities and got on radio shows and things like this. And it, and it just became a thing. And, and 90 people showed up. But the first year we had Robert, as we said, Halle Berry was there. Bill Duke has been a friend forever. And it's a big time supporter of everything that we've done. Um, Babyface, Debbie Allen, Regina King, you know, people like that. So we really got off to a great start. And we, and we realized after that first week, Sean, that it really was, we really were filling in, filling a gap, uh, filling a need for bringing Black people together in film and TV. And that's really been our story and, and our, our mission for the past 25 years now. Well, bringing you know, black, black and brown people together in film and TV. Which was really a journey. And when you bring in Nicole, Nicole, you have that, I always tell you, you have like that third eye, you know, because you're seeing it. You know, he started it. And sometimes when you just start something, you're grinding. And, and then some of the things you don't see because you're so protective sometimes. And sometimes you just say, this is the way I want to do it. But when you bring that third eye in, Nicole, that's what you brought the president and general manager of the ABFF. What did you see? Not that, when, I word, when I say the word change, change is good, but also people can perceive change as bad or something was wrong. What did you see that they elevated the, the, the platform of ABFF? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that it wasn't something that I saw that needed to be changed. It was definitely, definitely more growth opportunities. Yes. Um, that I think uh, we have been able to do together. Right. And I always like to tell people I've been like, and and I don't want to take too much credit, but I've been the Michelle Obama to Barack Obama for years. For years, I've been, I've been the pillow talker. I've been behind the scenes, always knowing what's going on and lending a helping hand from afar. And, and recently within the past five years, I guess I've really been on the front lines with Jeff as his, as his partner and what we've been able to do together. Um, you know, what he has started obviously was, was a need for this platform to create diversity and inclusion. And we've continued to build that through the years. And even last year when we had to, we couldn't be in Miami, obviously because of the pandemic, we decided that we wanted to still keep a place or have a place for the community because it's so important for the filmmakers to be able to showcase their talent and what better place to do it than, than the American Black Film Festival? So we didn't want to just go away last year. We didn't want to do anything. We wanted to have a place. And so we built a platform, a virtual platform, so that we could have those filmmakers um, showcase their, their artistry um, so that, you know, we wouldn't miss a beat. They wouldn't miss a beat. Um, but I think that it's just been growth. And so that's part of the growth uh, that I've been able to help um, lead or help help Jeff do side by side, I would say that. <laughs> well, you know, the, th- the thing about it is that when I when I communicate with both of you guys, like, like Jeff, because he brought up Byron Lewis, I remember the first time I was sitting in Byron Lewis' office and Byron Lewis is the founder, just a background. See, he created Uniworld, one of the largest black um, media advertising. It's based in New York, also have headquarters in uh, Detroit, Michigan. And that's the first time I really, you know, ABFF came on our radar because he was talking about Miami. And he was asking me, Rashawn, 
You know, we was talking about different. And so the thing I liked about my relationship with Jeff is that I've always been a fan, and people have always asked me, and like, like I know I've gotten Jeff on when I was managing Steve and running the morning show, Steve Hart Morning Show. I've gotten him on that because I always felt what he was doing was necessary. It was important because, but there was a period where right now you guys seem like to be at the right place at the right time because there's so many black movies out. There's so many great black television shows out. There's so many black documentaries out. But it was a period there, Jeff, when, when reality TV and black people just beating each other up and cussing and throwing liquor glasses at each other. That was a dark period to me as a writer for black entertainment. And it wasn't mm-hmm. out there. So how did you... Ride that moment because right now this is like you know ever since especially since uh, Black Panther the whole black creative has exploded you know Netflix and the streaming world so I think you have to be at a point where you go man this ride is about to get even greater and Nicole you sitting right there with him you know with your visionary as well as your husband's being a visionary so talk about that period Jeff did you know what I'm talking about man when it was like I do, really I do. this is what this this I- this, this the, the black perspective in the media. Yeah, it, it it was worse than you. Well, you know how bad it was that you've been on the ride. But, you know, I remember doing an interview and I won't say the publication because the publication supports us now. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. I put let let bygones be bygones, as you say. Right. But <laughs> I remember I remember doing an interview in 1998. And this woman came to Acapulco. And she said in a very sarcastic tone, Jeff, why are you guys doing this? Why are you doing this? Right in a very sarcastic tone. And it's a major, major industry trade publication. And I said, huh, excuse me? She said, well, why, why a black film festival? Why does the world need a black film festival? And she just set herself up. And I, and I just said, because Hollywood. And when and that just came, I never had that thought before. But th- those two words came together, because Hollywood. That's why we're doing it. And, and Rushan, as you well know, that there've been, this has been an industry where there have been tremendous inequities for people of color yes. and black people probably have it better than everybody else of mm-hmm. color, right? Right. When you talk about Latino and Asian and, and Indian. And, and so this is what the word, this is what Hollywood has been. Hollywood's a hundred plus years old. And for the whole ride until Oscar so white, nobody had a conscience about black culture. No one was really in supporting. So listen, I don't think that I, I look at it a little differently. We had a vision for what Hollywood needed to look like, and Hollywood just caught up to us. <laughs> we, right. we didn't respond because when we started, Hollywood wasn't thinking about black and brown. It was doing exactly what you said. A couple of black movies. <laughs> we got to we, we got to 2000. Everything became about reality shows and Woo. black people and, and content. And as a black writer, you know how many black writers are, are working today and, and got deals at studios and first looked that if they were 15 years older, they would have been doing nothing. Yes. Like this whole generation of writers that are doing great, you know, and I love it, but had they been 15 years older, they would have experienced what you're talking about, right? Where mm-hmm. there's nothing to write. And so we feel blessed to have had the vision and the perseverance. And yes, Nicole is the, right, the, the third eye. That's a perfect analogy because I felt like you were in my head when you said that because as a founder, you get so obsessed with the details and, and the hustle and the grind, you often can't see things because your mind's not clear sometimes. So you do need that that person who you trust to be that third. And that's been her role. And you know, we've been doing this together since 
this is she she joined me at the second one the mm-hmm. third whatever year it was but you know <laughs> it's been a it's been a long it's been a long what year was it hey nicole, nicole let, let, let me stop him no he don't know he don't remember you remember see what i'm saying that's when men get in trouble so brother brother she's been with me for more than two decades i love it but you know you know nicole when you talk about president you talk about general manager you talk about you know because this this ride is always filled with people doubting People questioning the need, you know, because you got the Cannes Film Festival over there. Literally, the white folks over there looking good, looking great, cameras clicking and everything. And you invite <laughs> black people to your thing, they go, why? What's happening? Who there? And so turning that lens in your direction, how were you able to turn that lens and keep it steady on the platform that, that you and Jeff have built to this brand today that's well-respected, by the way? Let me just let everybody know. Thank because you. that's important because somehow people go, wow, I want to be a part of that. Because I, I know people ask me, they tell me. And so, Nicole, you're the president of general manager. Talk about your role. Talk about things that annoy you, that have annoyed you, that you you know <laughs> that you won't let nobody disrespect the brand. And you have to check people periodically, let them know <laughs> that this content is a, is a, is a, is a, has a purpose and will continue to grow. You know, the proof is in the pudding. Honestly, it has been a, it has been a slow build. And, yes, and, and many stories are, you, they, you look at them and they seem like they're overnight successes. ABFF has not been that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it may seem that way to some, but it has been 25 years of grinding. And I would say probably, you said something really interesting. Uh, maybe in the last, I don't know, Jeff, you can help me out a little bit here, but maybe in the last five years, have we really gotten the mainstream notoriety that we've deserved mm-hmm. um, long ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I say the proof is in the pudding, there are there are stars that have come through the festival that were not stars when we started, when they yes. started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think because of that, because those people have remained connected to us mm-hmm. throughout these years, no matter what level they've been on, I think that that has brought some attention to what we've been doing for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the president and general manager, I mean, Jeff was right. I, I, did, I bring a different perspective. And when you've been doing it for as long as Jeff has been doing and I've been alongside of him, um, sometimes you don't see the reason why you should continue to do this. And there's always a moment <laughs> There's always a moment, whether it's something someone said or something someone did or whether it's talent or whether it's a, a partner of ours or whether it's just, um, you know, an, an audience member or an attendee that has come to the festival. There's always a reason why we say, you know what, this is this is important. What mm-hmm. we've done here, we've done something here mm-hmm. um, and this is important mm-hmm. and we have to keep doing it. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps me in this presidential seat. That's what keeps me in the, as, as the general manager. Uh, and and certainly that's what keeps Jeff going as the founder and the CEO of this organization. And there have been times, <laughs> let me right. tell you, mm-hmm. there have been times where we've said, we're done. Um, but those moments that come and happen really are those that keep us 
going. And, and even when we get, you know, even moments like these, when we talk to people mm-hmm. and you give us an opportunity to share what we've been doing and why we've been doing it, it's so important to, to keep going. And we recognize that. And it, and it has not been easy for 25 years. And you asked me, what are some of the pet peeves that people do? Um, I, I'd say what you just said, you know, when, when there's a, a mainstream person that says, well, what is this again? And what have you done? Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have to repeat myself or I have to prove what we've done and talk mm-hmm. about all the people that have come through the, the festival, the Anthony Andersons, the Halle Berry's, mm-hmm. the Mari Harwicks, the Kevin Harts, the Will Packers. Come on now. Come on there's Come so on many now. people, the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. This is who we are and this is what we've done. This is what we've done and this is why we do it. We'll be right back with more money-making conversations with the founder and president of the American Black Film Festival, Jeff and Nicole Friday. This is Rashawn McDonald. Welcome back to Money Making Conversation. As I continue my conversation with both the president and the general manager of the American Black Film Festival, Jeff and Nicole Friday. Well, you know, I always see that uh, you guys are to me like the Comic Con, you know, of uh, 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 just black media, black film, black television. But you can't be great unless you have content. And that's what it, the last five years is delivering to your brand. Quality content, not the same person, new content, new branding, new stars, new directors, new producers, you know, independents that are that are rising and breaking through those those models. That's what gets me excited about the 25th year, the 26th year, the 27th year, because you know what? It's not going to stop because streaming is not going to allow it to stop. Streaming has changed the game because that content they need has to come from somewhere. And the reason I love what, what Netflix has done, and a lot of people don't realize is that because I'm just telling you how people who are listening and watching my show, they premiere movies on 190 markets countries worldwide, 180 countries worldwide. Usually when you have black content, it just premieres domestically. It doesn't even see international waters. And so what has happened is they've they've opened up the doors and exposed our quality level of entertainment worldwide now. And so when I look at the ABFF, your brand is now worldwide and you're starting to reap the benefits of that brand association. So tell me, Jeff, what does this 25th year feel like for you? Because I'm excited, man. It's in Miami. You know, COVID still is there, but we, we're coming out of it. You know, I've done just I've just finished doing three live events in Alabama, Georgia, and North Carolina, and people showed up. They wore masks, but they felt comfortable. So I'm excited, man. Talk to us about the 25th year. Yeah, so this year, of course, it is a big year for us, but this year we decided because of COVID that we would not be in Miami live uh, we'll be back in Miami in June of 2022 for our 26th anniversary. But we got we but we what we've done is we built a virtual platform. Okay. So the festival goes up November 3rd to the 28th on our platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own version of Netflix to a degree. It's called ABFF Play. We have our own streaming, yes, sir, online streaming platform. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about a hundred. We have 102 movies and about 25 talk events. Uh, we're opening with the world premiere of King Richard from Warner Brothers starring Will Smith. So we have this amazing, amazing lineup of robust content uh, across and film. Rashawn films from 35 countries around the world. So we are we are we're creating what we call a global, a worldwide digital experience it's going up November 3rd. The best news is, is the festival is completely free. 
Yes. So anyone anywhere around the world can enjoy the movies and see the talk events and, and be a part of ABFF this year. And we're going to return strong in 2022. You know, God willing, we'll be back and we'll be somewhat more recovered from COVID. Hopefully uh, we'll be back in Miami of, uh, of June of next year. I'm telling you, they, they're waiting on you, brother. Like I said, I, yeah, I know I just finished a HBCU tour event. You know, I, went, I was on the campus of Alabama State. Then I went to the campus of Winston-Salem State, and then I wrapped it up. It was a, a HBCU college day, and I, I'm going to tell you, but I definitely want you guys involved because I'm yeah, going back sounds, out in the spring. Like what we need to be doing. You know, uh, you know and, and a lot of people push back on me. Rashawn, you're going to do this? And I, I had to do it, man. I had to. First of all, I, I, I needed to get these young kids back seeing the options of education. And that had been denied them in 2020. That was the first. And then thirdly, for my, I had to, I had to show everybody that black people want to move forward. They're not afraid of this. We can do it safely. You know, I had masks. You know, hand sanitizer. We social distance. Uh, you know, 2,500 people was in the Alabama State campus. Uh, the event was free to attend. Um, you know, and then I was in uh, Winston-Salem, 4,000 people showed up on the campus. I uh, was in the parking lot right next to the stadium, uh, football stadium. And then we was right in the heart of Clark Atlanta. Oh, nearly 3,000 people showed up here. We was on the president's parking lot. And so right. the beauty of what we're trying to do is is move forward. And when I look at what your festival has done, man, virtual live, man, it just, it's just a game changer. And I guess, Nicole, when I talk to Jeff, because, you know, I look at him because I've seen him. I've, I've seen him from afar. And you, and, 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 the, and the fact that you've been there two decades and you and I, this is the first time we talk, and I'm almost kind of annoyed him a little bit, you know, because I didn't know he had a right-hand man that was out there, you know, pushing him up and making him strong like one this. One man, a woman. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, one man. You know what I'm saying? I apologize. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> pushing him up like this. But, but you you like me, you know, I, I'm a background guy. I'm a producer. You know, I'm a director. I'm an executive producer. And that's my role. But in, in the end, what do you what do you see being it virtual and then moving? Because I know y'all are forward thinkers. Y'all already planning Miami. Y'all already knowing that 2022 is going to exist. You know that sponsors are going to come at you from a different perspective. I know back in the day, I was thinking of yachts and all that stuff down in Miami, all that <laughs> stuff. You know what I'm saying? What, what does it look like? This year, and what does it look like in the 26th year? Well, Nicole, make sure you tell them about the comedy in London, too. I don't think Rashad knows about that we're in London, too. Oh, see, see, that's why I we got y'all on we, the show. We haven't been talking enough. Go ahead, Nicole, you take it, but we haven't okay. been talking enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, you 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 mentioned uh, you mentioned how we're global now. We really are <laughs> global, we're, and we're global for two reasons. Uh-huh. One, we launched uh, ABFF London festival uh, in London uh-huh. uh, in 2019. And so that was our first with our partner, Sony Pictures Entertainment. That was our first festival. So we did travel abroad, uh-huh. um, which is great. We are 100% global, global. And then last year, as I mentioned, because we were not able to be in Miami because of the pandemic, we built a platform, which Jeff just mentioned, ABFF Play, and we still house our festival. So with that, we reached 90 different countries. So there's a lot of people globally who know about ABFF now. If you got to go down to Nigeria, because Nollywood, <laughs> come on now. They we, we, had, we, we definitely had some Nigerians uh, on the platform Damn. last year. So it's exciting. That, and I'll go back to the growth opportunity. You know, it's exciting to be able to um, have that reach. And so what we intended on doing this year, though we are not in Miami, we were always going to be a hybrid festival. We we're going right. to have a physical presence mm-hmm. in Miami. We were mm-hmm. also going to have our global presence mm-hmm. um, or our virtual presence on the platform. But because COVID, uh, you know, continued, uh, we decided to just go virtual again 
this year. And like Jeff said, really, really, really excited about that. This year, we also launched um, a comedy festival. Yes, ma'am. Back in June, we launched ABFF Comedy Festival because, as you probably know, at the festival, we have a comedy arm called yes. Comedy Wings. And we thought, you know, this is this is a great time and an opportunity for us to have a festival that's focused on com- uh, comedians and comedy writers. Um, there's so much content out there. There's so many talented people out there who are, you know, are capable of who are capable of of, of comedy and, and, and funny writing and um, and, and that festival, this that festival actually sort of is like the um, what's the name of that festival, Jeff? That we that you attended, Montreal, just, just for just for laughs, yeah. in Montreal, right? and then the Aspen Comedy, Comedy Festival. Yeah. I know of both of those. So this is our this is our Absolutely. answer to just for laughs uh, in Montreal. Basically. Well, you know the thing but, about it. I'm just going to tell you both of you. This is a compliment, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm just tell you mm-hmm. when I when I when I talk about the uh, how the Nigerian and Nollywood, that's what they call it, Nollywood down there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's they waiting on y'all. They just waiting on y'all. Because y'all are the voice, y'all are the truth, and I'm just gonna tell you, yeah. When I when I see it, when you have when you have a legacy, when you have a background, you walk in, you open the doors, and you say, sometimes you gotta set down roots someplace else for you to be be respecting to go, wow, we part of this. You guys are doing it. I want y'all to continue to do it. But what I want y'all to do for me, do me a favor, keep me in the loop. Just keep me, Jeff, Nicole, keep me in the loop. Somebody tell Rashawn when you're doing these things, because I can promote it. You got to send me a banner, send me a flyer, because that's how you need to be recognized. Your your flowers need to be promoted. Your brand needs to be, that's what I do, man. I do it with, I do it with no, there's no, there's no check here. I do money making conversations because I love the fact that you guys are stars. You guys are the ones that are enabling people like me, people like Steve Harvey's, like the Stephen A. Smith, the Anthony Andersons. I see what when I see look at the Image Awards, the the rise in the Image Award to me is tied to the same rise of the ABFF. I just see it. I just see it, and I just know that the gifts that y'all have. Just let me know. I, I, Thank you. And, and oh, if you if you, if you let me know, I, I certainly will. I'm I'm your friend, dude. I am your friend. Thank uh, you, brother. And one man, and one man. I gotta make sure I say Nicole. One man, you know that, <laughs> that right hand man. She checked me hard. Hey, hey, hey. Two decades now. Two decades now. <laughs> but y'all, before I go, I just want to talk about HBCUs a little bit because uh, HBCUs because they got a lot of. Uh, uh, recognition of in 2020, and a lot of people made a lot of corporate donations, and and and, and people are starting to recognize the academic achievements and success of the graduates. Recognized right here, you're a black CEO. 18 percent of the CEOs in the country are black, come from HBCUs. HBCUs that is you, and that 18 percent. So tell the importance of that. How it shaped your life, starting with you, Jeff and Nicole. You can wrap it up, and uh, I want to just thank you for your time and allowing me to speak to you. And again, send me. Those banners and just every quarter, just let me know because I'm here to support your brand. We will. And, and just quickly, you know, I, I think that historically HBCUs have, have been synonymous with most things black, which is less than. And but we all know those of us who attended HBCUs, if, if there's anything, is nothing less about the black experience for a black person. Mm-hmm. In fact, Nothing more empowering than walking around a campus, whether you're in Alabama or you're in D.C. Or, 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 or Maryland, anywhere, than to see people like you that are educated, that are diverse. So HBCUs kind of shape how we view the world. And I have not met a person who didn't feel the same way to some degree. So I'm just personally happy to see that 
And I don't care how we got here. I kind of know how we got here, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just happy to see that the world is starting to embrace the importance, the corporate world and, and culture, right? Because with, with embrace comes financial resources that allows us to build and be better. I'm just happy that the world's kind of catching up to what everybody, all the black alumni knew already, that <laughs> these are magical places for young black people to, to, to figure out and find out who they are. Nicole. Yeah, I, I would just concur with Jeff. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, I absolutely would attend Howard University. We're both Howard graduates. And I'll just end on this note, really. H.U. You know. <laughs> now, no, half the people might say something different now. Half the university now. The real HU, they always say that little argument there. But I'm talking to the fantastic, it's the 25th anniversary. It's a virtual event. Festival is free November 3rd. It's premiering a Will Smith movie, King Richards. You can check that out. 102 movies, 25 talkies, 35 countries are participating. It's an event that uh, it started way back when. 1997, Acapulco. I know because I was on the outside looking in, watching Robert Towns. I, I saw it in a Jet magazine. That's how I knew about it. That's how, that's, that's yeah. how old it was. I read about I, it in the Jet I magazine. I that Jet, believe it or not. I still actually <laughs> see, have that issue. See, see, Jeff, you know I'm telling the truth. You know I'm you telling the, the truth. <laughs> but I, lo- I love you, Nicole. Thank you for coming into my world. You're fantastic. And I'm glad to know that you guys realize who I am as far as what I, what I want to bring to the table for your brand. And it is your brand. And it's a wonderful brand. And it's, it's, it's you know, sometimes you, you sit around Jeff and Nicole and you think about something. You don't really realize 10 years or 15 years. It's perfect. It's it, We needed you to have that vision back in 97. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this today, brother. Think about that. Thank now. you, man. Think about that. Thank you all Thank for coming you. on Money Making Conversation. Okay. I appreciate both of you. God bless Thank you, you Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. If you want to hear or see any of my interviews on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Thank you, Nicole. Bye, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with restaurateur, host of Fish, Grits, and Politics, founder and CEO of The Breakfast Club, Marcus Davis. We discussed the importance of trusting your vision even when it isn't clear to anyone but you. I wanted to be uh, synonymous with the city. I wanted to be an ambassador, a reflection of my city, and I wanted the the concept to be just as diverse. Uh, I would go into the bank with a business plan and uh, they would ask, who is your target audience? And they would try and drill me down on, no, you got to identify a target demographic. And I insisted that I didn't, that I wanted to do something different. I wanted the city of Houston to be reflected in the Breakfast Club. If you want to hear this full interview with Marcus Davis, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Bryce Thompson. He is a serial entrepreneur, event planner, investor, and a business mentor to millennials. At the age of 25, Bryce is considered an exception. He enjoys hosting events open to people of all ages and walks of life, but he caters primarily to the millennial mindset. Like every other black man in America, Bryce has felt the stings of racism, which, which is sad. He's just 25. and think at my age and you know, which I understand the era that I grew up in, that he wouldn't have to experience that, but he is. He's been su- subjected to the scrutiny and limitations of stereotypes and social structures designed to box those who look like him 
a life of mediocrity and poverty. However, in spite of all this, he's carved out a plan for success that is centered upon having an impact bigger than himself. He's the co-founder of Trade House Investment Group and chairman of its It'll All Make Sense nonprofit. He's on the show to talk about his new book, Millennials Accepted and Accepted. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm going to call him a good friend because he's from Houston, Texas, or Missouri City. I know exactly where that's at. Bryce Thompson. How you doing, Bryce? How you doing? How you doing? I'm happy to be here, son. Oh, oh, great, Bryce. Um, let's, let's, you know, at 25, man, like going on in this book, brother. Like going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a good last five years, for sure. Well, for let's sure. talk about those early years, because I think that's what lays the foundation. Um, off air, I was just telling you, uh, I remember I was making decisions on where I wanted to go to college. And I'm going to tell you something, man. I didn't really want to go to college. You know, but I just thought I wanted to be a, a forklift driver. That's what I wanted. I, I was inspired when I was 16 years old at my first job by these by these guys. They were black men. They were living a good life, driving forklifts and unloading trucks. And when I, I said, that's what I wanted to do. So I always feel that what you see in an early life can drive you to be what you can possibly be as you start to ascend. What inspired you as a young youth to, to be the man that you are today? And you're still climbing to be even a bigger man than you are today. Talk to us about that. Right. Um, well, more, more, more surface level, I would say, uh, or, or deeper rather, I would say my environment for mm-hmm. one, my, my mom, especially always made sure I was in, you know, a really good environment. You know, first it started with school, uh, you know, then she was very particular about the people that I would hang around. So mm-hmm. I was always surrounded around people that were out doing great things, like people that were out you know, striving for massive success. So in turn, that inspired me. And then more service level, my mom has always been an entrepreneur. She raised, you know, me and my brother Mm -hmm. um, strictly off of an entrepreneurial income pretty much our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So that, that really inspired me to go out and make something out of nothing. And then even more service level, my older brother, uh, you know, he was the first person that I saw graduate college you know, going to get a good job. And at the time for me, you know, going out, getting a good job, especially a six figure mm-hmm. <laughs> income paying job, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, seeing that as a kid or, you know, a college student, that was like my first figure of success. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got to go to college. I got to right. graduate. Right. I got to get a good job. I got to be successful. I got to, you know, be able to go out and support myself. So, you know, early on, I'm like, I, I have to go out there and, and do something. I can't just stay at home and, you know, be, you know, regular, regular, schmegular. Well, absolutely. I, I think that uh, in, when re- in reading this book, you know, uh, millions accepted and accepted, uh, because I always felt that when I was growing up in life, I, I have been the accepted, in other words, or the exception. That's basically right. what that is, you know, where people say I, I thought differently, I, I, you know, I projected my outcome. You know, I came from a black community. Uh, I grew up, I went to high school in Forest Brook in Houston, Texas. It's not even open anymore. In fact, they've torn the school down. And as I, so my whole outlook was black. You know, I, I got on the bus to go downtown with number of black people on the bus. When I got back on the bus to go back to my house with number of black people on the bus. It wasn't until I was 18 right. that I started to see diversity in my life. And so right. when did you start seeing a diversity in your life or was it always there? Because in your book, you talk about how your mother, it was very important that you have a diverse look, perspective right. of life. And it really kind of opened you up, correct? 
Right, absolutely. Um, I, I've pretty much lived a diverse life from as as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I would say early on, I you know I remember being at pretty much predominantly black uh, middle school yeah. and elementary. More mm-hmm. so elementary. Mm-hmm. I just went to the neighborhood school in Missouri City. I went to Quail Valley. I don't know if you ever heard of Quail Absolutely. Valley. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to Quail Valley Elementary School. And from what my mom tells me, and I can't really remember, but she remembers way, way more than I do. I stood out from a lot of the other students. I, you know, I made the best grades. I was at the top of my class. And my teachers, they recommended, right, that my <laughs> teachers recommended that she put me in a you know, a higher education. Like she put me around, you know, people that 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 were learning at a more elite level. Mm-hmm. So she started looking into, you know, higher learning schools around the area. She started looking into private schools. And then that's when, you know, that was my first time going to private school back in the second half of like sixth grade. Right. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting into a private school um, in, the, in the Houston area, Fort Bend, Fort Bend Academy. I don't know if you've heard of Fort Bend Academy. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to slow you down by Houston, man. I was born, raised, and when I die, they're going to bury me in Houston. So that way you can just keep talking normal about Houston. I know where the Turkey Lug Hut is. I know where West Orm is. I know where Fuquay is. I know South Main runs right smack dab in the middle of Missouri City. I know all that. So you can just talk normal with me, man. We're going to have a good time on this interview, Bryce. All right, yeah. You know more than I do, Daniel. So let me not. Well, yeah, so I went. I went to Fort Bend Academy and that was like, that was the first time where I wasn't in a, a very diverse um, environment. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was one of the very few African-Americans, mm-hmm. um, you know, most of the students that I, that I was going to school with at the time, they were, they came from pretty rich, wealthy, mm-hmm. well-off family household. So that wasn't me. It was a little more, I was more of an outlier for the first time. Mm-hmm. And but I still did really well in school. Mm-hmm. I still did I still did really well in sports. Mm-hmm. And then I went off to high school. I ended up going back to public school. I went to Lamar my first year. Mm-hmm. I got back into a diverse environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but still at the top of my class, I was into I was in the IB program, uh, still doing really well in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also was playing sports at the time. So sports is what put me back into the private school environment <laughs> because Lamar didn't have the best basketball program at the time. Um, at least my freshman year. I don't know. How, I don't know what it is right now, mm-hmm. but I ended up looking into Westbury Christian. Westbury Christian had like top, top notch basketball program my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I transferred back over to Westbury Christian. That was the first time I was in a environment where the education was a lot higher, yes, but it was also still diverse. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a situation where, you know, I was the only black kid or I was the only, you know, kid that didn't come from a wealthy or rich family. It was it was a little bit of everything. And then when I went to Morehouse, I went back into, <laughs> you know, this environment of like, okay, this everybody's African-American, everybody's black. But the one thing that, you know, really changed everything for me was the fact that I was at Morehouse around a bunch of people that looked like me, came from similar backgrounds. But the common denominator of all of us was we really like everybody wanted to be successful at Morehouse. Mm-hmm. Like that was like that that was a need. It was a necessity. Right. Like you needed you going to Morehouse that all just just having that title 
attached to your name. Like you had to become, you had to become something. You which had to which was something really great. interesting because, you know, you wanted to go to Harvard, but I really did. you technically went to Harvard, you know, and that's more right. when you look at the <laughs> legacies that's tied to that post from a, from a, from a academic standpoint, because I'm always a, a proponent of a, uh, uh, advocate, I should say, of what right. HBCUs, you know, 80% of the black doctors and dentists come from HBCUs, 40% of the members of Congress who are black come from HBCUs, 50% of the public school teachers who are black come from HBCUs, 24% of the STEM, 27%, it just went up, I just studied, came out of the STEM graduates who are black come from HBCUs. So you went to Harvard, you know, and so, and, and that getting in an environment that was equally academic competitive because even when you went to West Christian Academy, that was a competitive environment because that was, let me just explain to everybody what he was talking about. Lamar University in Houston, right off of West Time, is a football powerhouse. I mean, that's a bad school. Now, Western Christian Academy, they recruit people. Like, he might be, Bryce might be good, but they won't let him know that they're bringing in FOMO goods. And so right. that puts you in another competitive environment. So you've always been in a competitive environment. You've always been challenged physically to be better than the person sitting right next to you. So that probably played very well for you in the lanes that you're successful in now, correct? Absolutely, for sure. Now, with that being said, when you, when you, when you had the option to go to Prairie View, full ride, full ride. The book talks about it. You know, right. and uh, previous an excellent institution right down the street, about 45, 50 minutes from Houston, Texas. Dad took you down there. But that gut didn't sit right for you. Why didn't it sit right for you? Um, You know, for it, it didn't give me that. Like, even though I got a full ride and, you know, I, it, it, it wasn't too far from home, I didn't, for the first time, I just didn't feel like, I would be competing at an elite level. I, I felt like I wouldn't be, you know, surrounded around, you know, a bunch of people that necessarily, I don't know, like that it, it was just that it factor that I was looking for. And that's why I wanted to go to Harvard. Harvard, you know, it's Harvard. Like <laughs> when you hear Harvard, it's like, yo, you go to Harvard. Right. And then I'll tell them like, yo, I'm going to Prairie View. And it's, it was, it was more common coming from where I'm from. Like, mm -hmm. You, if you're from Houston, Texas, if you're from Missouri City, Texas, right. mostly everybody is going to go to U of H or TSU or Prairie View. Yes. So for me, I wanted to step outside the box as far as a, you know, a, a school and an institution is concerned. And, you know, I, I graduated at the top of my class. Like, like I was the number 10 student, not 10%, mm -hmm. not but 10, like 10 people <laughs> in my, in my high school class. So I'm thinking like, I, you know, I, let me let me apply to Harvard. Harvard mm -hmm. never got back with me. Mm -hmm. And my mom, last minute, I came back from Prairie View. My, mom, my dad dropped me back off at my mom's house. And, I, you know, I told her, you know, I, they offered me a full ride and I wouldn't have to pay for school. And, you know, she still could see it on my face that it just wasn't really doing it for me. And then she encouraged me to apply to Morehouse. Got into Morehouse. They gave me a... Um, you know, a, a scholarship to a, a pre-program that they were having over the summer. I went to the I went to the campus over summer. I fell in love with it. And at that point, I'm like, OK, I have to come back in the fall. This is the school that I'm going to. Right. And I just I ended up there. Well, congratulations, because it changed your life. You know, oh, yeah. when I say change sure. your life from a perspective, 
Uh, my degree is in mathematics, okay, and my minor is in sociology. I graduated from University of Houston. Like I said, I went to college because, like in your book, it tell you talk about, you know, that's the the way of the world. You know, you right. go to high school, you graduate from high school, then you go to college, you get this, you know, five or six, six figure degree. Next thing you know, you're married and you're happy. That right. didn't set well for you. Again, that gut. I always love you. You follow your gut, you know, like I said. Right. And so when you were in, doing an internship program in Cleveland, Great job. Great opportunity. You know, eight to five. But every time you started, every day, the excitement of going, according to your book, started diminishing. And that's when you start understanding and admitting to yourself at such a young age, this is not for me. Talk about that. For sure. Um, So first and foremost, let me just, you know, just add on to that. I drove an hour to work every single morning. <laughs> and that was like, you know, that was a little different for me. <laughs> that was the first time I ever experienced anything like that. So I'm driving an hour. So it was more so like a, a seven to five or uh-huh. six to five. I had to wake up at six, <laughs> leave by seven, get to work by eight. Right. So yeah, it was more like a, a six to five. Right. Mm-hmm. And as I'm driving, you know, you driving, you waking up early. You know, it, it has to be something to motivate you to do that every morning. And for me, the only thing that was motivating me was, you know, I, if I didn't make it to work on time, they wouldn't offer me a job back or, you know, I wouldn't get paid. But, you know, it got to the point where I felt like I didn't even want a job back. Like I didn't even I didn't even care if they they offered me a full time full time job because this isn't you know, I felt like this is a part time job and for me, it was like a part-time sacrifice. Like mm-hmm. sacrifices are temporary for you to live, you know, the way that you really want to. Mm-hmm. So I, I understood for me that, you know, that job was something that I, I I necessarily had to do to get to where I wanted to go at the at the at that specific time. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just part of the really building the foundation. Like I still, I you know, I owe that job, uh, you know, as as far as being a reason to my success now like I you know some of the people that I met and some of the things that I learned and right you know just it was just a humbling experience for me and, and now that I can I can speak to it a little bit different when I'm when I'm talking to people that are interested in what I do or you know that want to be an entrepreneur and they don't know exactly how to go about it but yeah no nah, that that was the first time you know I was making <laughs> a little bit of money like I was making good money for absolutely you a you college student we'll be right back with more money making conversations with the co-owner of trade house investment group and the author of millions accepted and accepted Bryce Thompson this is Rashawn McDonald welcome back to money making conversations as I continue my conversation with the co-owner of trade house investment group and the author of millions accepted and accepted Bryce Thompson. I always remember, like, I tell people my experience at IBM has always been a blessing because it taught me structure. And that's what you're talking about right now. Right, right, right. Working that, and, and, and it stays with you. You know, at the time, I didn't really understand what it was bringing. It was just work to me. They sent me off to courses, and I would, even though I was based in Houston, they would send me to Atlanta to train. And and, and all those same disciplines that I, that I experienced, I still apply today. And so from an entrepreneur standpoint, entrepreneurial standpoint, when you're talking to people, you have to, all you're doing is about discipline. Like you said, you got up at six to start driving at seven to arrive at eight. 
That's the same principle you have to do if you're an entrepreneur. You just can't be, just because you run your company, mean you can't get up at seven one day, eight o'clock the next day, or nine o'clock the next day, or six o'clock the next day. There has to be consistency. And that's what your book talk about talks about, is consistency as an entrepreneur, consistency to achieve your goals. Why was that so important to you to reveal that side of secrecy, of secrets, you know, because we always want to know the secrets to success. But that, 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 that becomes a profound dialogue in your book. Right. Um, no, yeah, con- consistency is a big deal. And, you know, that's that's really the difference. It's I find it to be easy to be consistent when, you know, you're heading in a direction of where you want to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I was working that job, it, it was a lot harder to, to consistently wake up every morning knowing that this isn't something that I, I want to do. And no matter how early I wake up, no, no matter how many donuts I bring to the office, no matter how many, <laughs> how much <laughs> coffee I buy everybody at the office, I'm still going to get paid the same amount. I'm still going to, you know, do the same thing that I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, like the projects never really change. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't really living. I felt, I felt like I wasn't really living in my purpose. I felt like I was just an, another number. And once I became an entrepreneur, yeah, I could still wake up early, if not earlier. I could stay up later, if not later, because every every morning that I wake up, this is another opportunity for me to do something that's going to get me closer to the lifestyle that I really only get to see in my sleep. But, you know, when you, when you work in a job, you can wake up earlier, wake up the same time, mm-hmm. wake up a little later, you're still going to get the same results. Absolutely. So, you know, entrepreneurship, it... As far as the consistency goes, it should be a whole lot easier for anybody because, one, you can't put a cap on your income as an entrepreneur. You can always do something to increase it. And you can really focus on the things that you love to do and make an income out of that. Find a way to support yourself out of that. Absolutely. I'm talking to Bryce Thompson, the author of Millions, Accepted, Accepted, and Accepted. Uh, one of the things that really, now we've, 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 we kept, we talked about a journey up to this point. We talked about the, 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 the early stages from grade school, middle school, high school, early years of college. You were focused to be an entrepreneur. You, was, I mean, excuse me, you were focused to be a, a nine-to-fiver, a 40-hour-a-week guy. You were working on this engineering degree. And then suddenly, your older brother said the magic word to you, Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin changed right. your life in what, 2017. Come on now. And then, and then when you tried to help out this young lady, she stepped back on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You really was reading the book. Hey, man. Okay, cool. Hey, really man. But, you know, thank goodness you didn't say her name because she probably tracked you down and beat you up. But, uh, she, she knows. She knows. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to tell her, but she has so much doubt. And that's what you can, like I said, you can't take everybody to success. You can talk to them about it, but they have to have a, the dream locked in and understand what you're trying to communicate with them. But that, right. that your older brother, who had graduated from college, who showed you the way, here you are at Morehouse. You have not completed college, but he showed you an opportunity that it was too much to pass up. Talked about that journey into, right. into the world of Bitcoin and also investments. Right. Um, well, yeah, like I said in the beginning, my, my older brother, you know, was one of my motivations to becoming successful and, you know, doing something 
and making something out of my out of myself. So, you know, when he gave me an opportunity, it's not I'm not gonna <laughs> question I'm not gonna question it too much. Right. No right, matter what right, it is. Right. As mm-hmm. long as it's legal, like I'm mm-hmm. I'm not really gonna question it. Mm-hmm. Or it's you know, uh, uh, of course against my morals. Mm-hmm. But you know, like we come from the same place, my mm-hmm. older brother. Mm-hmm. So when he he introduced me to you know cryptocurrencies and investing. <laughs> um it was it was like Chinese to me. It was like a foreign language. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I wasn't scared to learn something new, especially being at my job. And that, you know, that that's why that job plays a significant part of my story, because I think I was more motivated because of what I was going through, you know, as an employee over the summer. So when he is the timing, the timing was just perfect. So when he gave it to me, not only was I making, I was making a little bit of money. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to invest when you don't have anything to invest. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I was, it is for the first time I was making, you know, I had, I had some, I had some money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. So I leveraged that money, that little bit of money that I had in my pocket. And I started making a little bit of money on top of my money. Right. And, you know, it wasn't a whole lot, but at the time I realized like, you know, this isn't a lot of money, but this is for me, for a college student, for the average person, you know, this this could help them out a whole lot. And that was the first time that I, you know, I started talking about it. I started telling my friends. I started, you know, telling my family members, start really showing them. And like you said, you know, the girl that you just mentioned, <laughs> that's, when, that's, when I, that's when I really ran into, you know, that, that feeling of rejection that every entrepreneur is going to experience. Right. That that rejection feeling like she she rejected me. I tried to show her, tried to I felt like it could help her. And she shot me down. She right. made me feel like what I was doing wasn't a big deal. And that was my first time experiencing that. And I, I, I even owe, you know, a lot of my seat were at least a significant part of my success and early on to her. Like, I really I appreciate that she that she, you know, rejected me because, you know, some man, you, you have a lot of values like me, Bryce, is that right. I always tell people when they tell me no or they reject me, my goal is to get in front of you. I always tell people I, I put my car in front of your bumper. That's my goal. If you if right. I'm in front of your bumper, that means you can't go around me. And plus, you have to get my license and find out who in front of me. So that's all. So you had that mentality. So you put your car. Your goal is to put your car in front of hers. Fortunately, it didn't take much. OK, because you immediately just right. and ran off the road. That's how quickly you got in front of her. And she's sitting on the side of the road trying to call AAA. But it was too late because you going about your business. But the beauty right. of this is that and, right. and the sad part of this is that, you know, despite success, despite doing it the right way, you were stereotyped. You know, you put in jail, told you going to be in jail for 10 days. It wasn't for your frat brother who was there and able to to get you out of jail. No telling what direction that would put you. No telling what stereotype situation that would have led to even more incarceration or more frustration. That's right. just, you know, that even though you can do it right because of the nature of racism, it still can stereotype you. But the focus oh, point sure. of what I really like about you, you know, you you, you started the, the, the trade house investment group with three of your boys. You know, you also did. You also have the uh, the HBCU scholarship campaign that you do with the Scully app. And if anybody don't know what the Scully app is, it's an online search platform to help high school seniors, you know, uh, and current undergraduates and graduate students match and win scholarships in that 
he has a HBCU scholarship. And by the way, Prairie View A&M is one of the schools <laughs> on this platform, cool. along with Hampton, Howard, you know, Livingstone, all and Morehouse, of course. So my whole thing is that when I, when I sit down and talk to you, Bryce, man, this this book, which I'm definitely going to recommend to a lot of people. In fact, I'm gonna feature you on my motivational Monday. So in a couple of weeks, every, on Mondays, I feature people I think who are making a difference in this world, and I highlight their success story and your story needs to be a highlight. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to recommend people to get your book, highlight you on my Motivational Mondays. I've done everybody from Shaq. Uh, 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 Rick Ross was a couple of weeks ago. So uh, to this week, I think I, I got Will that. Packer. Was uh, Today is Will Packer. He's being highlighted this week. So next week, going to be my man, Bryce Thompson. This book is <laughs> worth it. That, I'm going to recommend it. I know people have told you, interviewed by Rashawn McDonald, get ready. But brother, I was ready for you. Because you're an inspiration, <laughs> you are that. my, you are what I I worked hard to to make happen. You know, I feel that that anything that I do when I welcome you into my studio, realize that it's a blessing for me because it's an honor to understand your values that you were able to understand at such an early age. I didn't figure it out till I was forty. Okay, you figured it out, you know, when you was twenty two. All right, and you're willing to share it through your scholarships, through your I Am Millennial events. The last one was at the Hard Rock Stadium. You know, was, your brother came on here bragging, telling me all those thousands and thousands of people showing up. But I love both of y'all, man. But uh, and, and, and just wrapping up this interview, uh, Bryce, anything you want to say to your, to your potential new fans and why they should really invest in reading your book, Millennials, Accepted and Accepted? Um, one thing, you know, I... I do want to, you know, shed some light on not really just anybody that uh, just supports me, but any upcoming entrepreneur, um, anybody that, you know, wants to 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 make something great or do something great or get some something great, acquire something great. Uh, the one thing worse than not having something or acquiring what you want to acquire is actually getting it and then losing it. So, you know, what's big for me and just my whole journey and how I came into the entrepreneurial space and what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to shed light on, not just in my book, but even specifically within my events, um, just as financial literacy. I think, you know, especially a lot of people, specifically of color, we, you know, we come into money or we work so hard to gain something, but we never really understand the, the power of what it's going to be like once we have it. And we never really educate ourselves on, you know, what, what to do when we actually get it. People know how to make money. People know how to spend money save money. Not a lot of people know how to multiply money. So, you know, just the power of investing and knowing what to do with your money and knowing how to move when you acquire a certain level of success is going to, you know, in turn, allow you to keep it once you gain it. And I think that's 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 one of the most powerful things that I want to shed light on, especially for young entrepreneurs that look look like me. Once you once you actually get it, you know, our job is to keep it like our job is to have it 10, 20, 30 years down the line so we can pass it down to the next generation. But um, Rashawn, again, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Like, you know, people told me about this. this I've been on 15, 20 minutes early to make sure I was on and I'm, I'm looking forward to you know, hopefully talking to me and you in, in the future. Oh, we will, man. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Bryce Thompson, he'll be featured on my Motivational Monday on my Facebook. I got almost a million followers on there, so a lot of people going to see you. Millions right. accepted and accepted. Hey, my man, thanks for coming on Money Making Conversation. Okay, cool. I appreciate it. If you want to hear or see my interview with Bryce Thompson on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I am Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. 
You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week. And always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with the host of First Take, Stephen A's World, and the new co-host of ESPN NBA Countdown, Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. emphasizes the importance of not letting self-doubt halt your opportunities towards achieving your dreams. I was actually reluctant and hesitant to write my own book for a very, very long time. I literally said, although I had a national television show that's been number one in the morning for nine years and counting, I literally was saying, why would anybody want to read a book from me? And so many people came forward like, what the hell are you talking about? What's wrong with you? Everybody needs to hear your story. Everybody needs to hear what you endured, what you had to experience, what you had to go through to get to this place that you're here now. If you were to listen to this full interview with Stephen A. Smith, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. <laughs>